0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
1: Many, 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 Mickey, Mickey, Mickey! PC PC! You are listening to the flagship podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza.
0: And then Shibata comes back with. Chapin fucking. That's a tremendous (laughs) conversation. And Rich Craig.
1: I live a horrible existence. So, all right. Ah, Triple A. Very
0: hard on yourself just for never being on a boat. I mean, uh,
1: well, you know, why don't I know anybody who owns a boat?
0: What is up? Welcome back to the best wrestling podcast in the world, the flagship podcast. I, of course, am your problematic fave, the chaotic good Joe Lanza, taking you through a Thanksgiving week edition. Of the Flagship Podcast. I don't know if Rich is going to show up or not. He may. He may not. It doesn't matter. We're going to give you a show either way. Uh, Rich, uh, listen, he pulled some strings. He used his connections. He made his way to the live Dynamite in Chicago on Wednesday night. And, of course, Thursday is Thanksgiving. So there will be no uh, live Flagship as per the usual on Thursday. So... We'll see if at some point we can manage to squeeze Rich into this thing, but uh, do not be surprised if you do not hear his voice and you do not hear from from the captain at any point during this podcast. So we're going to start here. We're going to start with the Survivor Series, a dreadfully boring show, a dreadfully boring and inconsequential show, which is actually worse than being a bad show, especially for what I do. I can come on here and rip on a bad show and keep you guys entertained for 20 minutes and entertain myself for 20 minutes and just completely destroy a show that's bad. I don't know that this show was bad. It was inconsequential. It was boring. It was dull. It felt like it was never going to end because of the fact that it was inconsequential and boring and dull. Which, I guess, makes it bad. When you're all of those things, I guess it means that you're bad. But it wasn't bad in the ways that shows are traditionally bad. Terrible matches, bad angles, botches. Um, They're just boring. They're just painfully boring. And inconsequential. Nothing that happened on the show Mattered. It peaked with the Becky Lynch Charlotte Flair match. Which ended up opening the show. And. As everybody expected. They. Worked it like a shoot fight. So it was an interesting match. But it was. You know. It wasn't a match that I would call great. Or even very good. It was a solid match. And then the RK Bro Uso's bout Was okay. Decent little. TV match. If I had to describe it. And then nothing else on the show was worth your time. Everything else was a complete waste of time. Ranging from horrendous. The 25 man battle royal. And the women's elimination tag. Both just horrendous matches. The women's elimination tag I think is still happening. I don't think that match is ever going to end. And then the men's elimination tag, which was nothing special either. And in these elimination matches, there were a bunch of count-out eliminations. and Assorted bullshit to protect all the stars. Which in that case, if you don't want to beat anybody, then why are you booking them to begin with? A rant we've made plenty of times here. You you know, you should never book yourself into a corner. But today's not the day for that. Today is the day for this. What I want to focus on, instead of going match by match, I'm not going to do that. What I want to focus on here is Big E. And how disappointing, frustrating, and annoying this show was from the standpoint of somebody who was really rooting for Big E to become a big star. Look, I've been on top of this. From the moment he won the title. Go listen to the tape. Didn't like the cash in. Hated the follow up. Red flags all over the place. And I suspected right from the start. They had no intention of truly making this man a star. Or attempting to make this man a star. Despite the fact that they were putting. The WWE title on him. And nothing I've seen since. Has changed my mind. Look we've talked about it. Week after week. He's not had a good title reign at all. And I don't think most of it is his fault. I don't think they're interested. In. Creating a true star. With this title reign. And I think some of it is. Seven, eight, nine years of. Being a mid-card guy and a good portion of the fan base simply seeing him at at a certain level. And the booking not helping those fans overcome that to see him at another level. And this match against the most protected wrestler in the company and the dominant champion and really for all intent and purpose the real champion of the company, Roman Reigns, because, look, they've got two titles in this company. They've had two titles in this company for, for many years. And most of the time, we all know who the real champion is, right? I mean, there's times where you can make an argument or both champions are treated relatively equally. But a lot of the time, you know who the real champion is. And is there any denying that Roman Reigns is the real champion? Of WWE right now, there's no denying it. He's the most protected wrestler on the roster. He has seemingly the only storyline in the company that they care about. And he's been dominant, and he's been booked to be dominant. He's booked the way you book someone who you perceive as a star. It's very obvious that Vince McMahon. And the rest of his cronies. See Roman Reigns as a legitimate star. Because he's booked like one. We talked about it last week. With Bianca Belair. And Big E. The booking never lies. Okay. And Roman Reigns is booked like. They believe he's a star. So this was an opportunity. To portray Big E. In that light. Because he's in the ring. With the one wrestler in the company. On the men's side. Where it's obvious that the company truly believes they're a star. So. That's why this match was so disappointing. Not surprising. But disappointing. A 22 minute match. Dominated. By Roman Reigns. He took 70% of this match. If not more. And it didn't happen to be a good, ma- a, a very good match. Very non-compelling stuff from Roman during the control period. Not his best work during this title reign. The match wasn't very compelling at all. But they built to Big E's comeback. And he eventually made that comeback. And I thought his comeback was good. I thought he showed plenty of fire. And... I knew he had no chance of winning the match. But he did show great fire in the comeback. And then I do think they missed the peak. You see us all the time in matches. Sometimes they just miss the peak. And I think the match ran a little bit too long. But then it ended rather abruptly. And Roman just wins it clean in the middle. After that exciting Big E comeback. Clean... In the middle. And that's the key here. Not only did Roman take the majority of this match. He won it clean in the middle. No help from the Usos. No shenanigans. No Finn Balor. Slash the Demon. Falling off of the top rope. With a ring malfunction. No outs for the babyface. Big E. The... WWE Champion, for whatever that's worth, which right now is nothing. Because we all know Roman's the real champion. And, as I said earlier, the booking never lies. They told you who the real champion was in this match. Big e got pinned clean in the middle. After being dominated for the majority of the match. Almost no one gets pinned clean in the middle by Roman Reigns. No one that they feel is worth anything. You know who gets pinned clean in the middle by Roman Reigns? You know who gets beat clean? Cesaro. Lower mid-card Cesaro. When they needed a filler title defense. To get them through a pay-per-view. To get them through a month worth of TV. They're telling you that Big E... Is on the same level as lower mid card Cesaro. That Roman doesn't need any help. In dispatching of the other brand's champion. Even when the essence of Roman's character. Is that. He has false bravado. And deep down is a very insecure champion. Who very often needs that help to win, not against Big E. Not against Big E, who, by the way, took a beatdown for 70 to 80% of the match. Disappointing, but not surprising. And we've been talking about it since the day he won the title. They pushed this guy five years too late. And now the push is shit. It isn't any good. And he's not connecting with audiences. Raw did 1.69 million viewers this week. A terrible number. But up from recent weeks. And if you listen to the wrestling media... And we'll get to these dopes in a second. You would think that this number was a massive success. The Big E rain has been littered with all-time low after all-time low. Worst third hour ever. Worst raw demo number ever. Every week there's a new all-time low during this Big E rain. We're up a bit from that this week. And we're throwing a parade. But this is the same wrestling media. That would lead you to believe that Big E is having some monumentally successful title run. Ryan Satin during the match. Here was his tweet and I quote. Big E is proving he belongs in this spot tonight. Feels every bit on the level as Roman... You love to see it. Hashtag Survivor Series. End quote. What is this guy watching? He got beat down for 80% of the match and lost clean in the middle. He most certainly did not feel every bit on the level of Roman, but listen. I don't think anybody listening to this show has a ton of respect for Ryan Satin's wrestling opinions. So perhaps I'm picking on low-hanging fruit. Let's try Fightful Wrestling. I don't know who tweets from that account. I don't know if it was Sean Ross Sapp tweeting from the account that night. He was tweeting from his own account. So I assume it wasn't him. But regardless. Whether it was Sean himself or one of the bevy of 22-year-olds he's got running around that site. It was someone who has their head on a little more straight than Ryan Satin, who, I mean, you know, isn't exactly a wrestling aficionado. He's a house organ for Fox. Here's a Fightful tweeted during the match, and I quote, Happy for Big E! He's wrestling one of the top stars in all of pro wrestling. Hashtag Survivor Series, end quote. Oh, we're we're doling out the crumbs again. You See what we're doing here? Remember when Cesaro won a mid-card match at WrestleMania? And we were supposed to be so happy for Cesaro because WWE was handing him some crumbs. And remember when I told you that all of these fools thought that this would be the start of a push before he promptly lost clean in the middle of the Roman and was sent right back to main event and being off of TV and being a lower mid Carter or whatever the fuck he's doing. Just like I told you would happen. Well, we're handing out those crumbs again. We're happy for Big E because he's wrestling one of the top stars. In all of pro wrestling. Big E is the WWE. Champion. He should be. One of the biggest stars. And top stars in pro wrestling. But as you can see. Subconsciously. Nobody views him that way. Even though he's the champion. We're happy for him. Because he's in the ring with one of the top stars in all of pro wrestling. Roman Reigns. Who the company books like a star. And treats like a star. Because they think is a star. And we're just happy that Big E gets to share the ring with this man. And I'll remind you once again that Big E is the WWE champion. And this was champion versus champion in this match. But the WWE title doesn't mean anything. And this title reign isn't the title reign of a star. And even these sites, which bow at the altar of WWE, and I'll tell you why they do in a second, it might not be why you think, subconsciously understand this. Because your Ryan Satins of the world and your Fightful Wrestlings of the world, they just think it's an honor for Big E to be in the ring with this man. You know, the real star in the company. If WWE had any guts, and they had any interest in making another star, Big E would have dominated this match. Big E would have put away Roman with a big ending, center of the ring. And they would have made a statement, and they would have told their fans and these various analysts that Big E is on this man's level. But they didn't tell you that. They didn't tell you that. They beat him clean in the middle. Just like I told you they would. Because they don't see him as a star. So why do these sites and these various pundits dutifully tweet things like this? Why do they do it? You're probably thinking, Joe, it's because they, they suck at the teat of WWE. We all know this. I don't think that's why. Some of you might be thinking, well, it's for access. They want to make sure Big E comes on their podcast. They want to make sure Big e's not mad at them. I don't think that's it either. The reason you see tweets like this, completely absurd tweets. And I hate to just pick on Ryan Satin or Fightful, but they're major entities and they're big boys and they make money to do this and they can take it. Because it's not just them. But I don't believe the the, the prime motivating factor is kissing WWE's ass or worrying about access. Now don't get me wrong, a lot of these sites do get wrapped up in being nice to the promotions and doing their bidding. I'll give you an example and I'll get back to Big E. Last week, the king... Of the press releases, Court Bauer put one out. And we hear it Voices of Wrestling get the same press releases that everybody else gets. But we're not really a news site, and even if we were, we wouldn't regurgitate Court's bullshit that he sends out to everyone. In fact, we usually mock it in our Slack chat. Ah, uh, Court sent out another one. But this one was especially egregious. It was MLW announcing their open door policy for free agents. Here's what they had in the release. It said, and I quote, Recognizing an unprecedented free agency market, MLW will open its doors to all who think they have what it takes to be major league and take on MLW's greatest grapplers and champions. While the majority of MLW's roster features contracted competitors, A percentage of each card will now feature free agents, ensuring exciting and unpredictable matchups. End quote. Now what is that saying? It's saying nothing. MLW has featured freelancers and free agents from day one. They don't have their entire roster under contract. They never did. It's always a series of free agents and freelancers coming and going. With a small percentage of the roster under contracted deals. Your Jacob Fatu's. Your Hammerstones. But this was a press release that was not sharing any new information. This was a press release telling us nothing new. But this is what MLW does. They send out these press releases that contain no real news. And then these sites dutifully posted on their sites. What's MLW's motivation? It keeps them in the news cycle. This particular release featured a quote from a fake kayfabe television character. And these sites posted it. MLW matchmaker Cesar Duran added... As I read from the, what site is this? Wrestling Inc. report. And then they give Cesar Duran's quote. A fake man. He is not a shoot man. This man is a fake man. He's a fictional character. And they give the Cesar Duran quote. Why allow your career to be at the mercy of the whims of a billionaire? I've always welcomed the hottest free agents to my arena. An open-door policy gives MLW fans exciting dream matches against MLW's best. Whether they fight one night or ten years in MLW, the open-door policy will showcase and give exposure to a wide variety of talent and create the best cards for fans while creating opportunities. Who will step forth? Let's find out. End quote by by the fake man, Cesar Duran. Who never said that, by the way. Words written by Kurt Bauer. Or one of his underlings. And these sites eat it up. This is not news. This is a wrestling angle. This is something Alicia Atute should be reporting on MLW Fusion. Not something... That alleged journalists should be posting on pro wrestling news sites. But do you know who did? Do you know who posted this total non-story with no news? And did MLW's PR for them complete with a quote from a kayfabe fake character on the show? You know who posted this on their site? Mandatory. WrestleZone. Wrestling Inc. Cage Side Seats. Fightful. Wrestling News. Post Wrestling. scoops, Wrestling Public. PW Mania. Fight Book MMA. Daily Advent. Post X News. The Shield of Sports. Figure Four Wrestling. Cultaholic. Geo A Trend big gold belt for the wrestling and I could go on. This is what we're dealing with. From sites you never heard of to new sites with a Z who admit to be click farms to the biggest boys in the industry. Post-wrestling, Fightful, Figure Four Weekly. They all dutifully fall in line and post-court Bowers phony PR for him. Total non-story with quotes from a fake person. The state of wrestling media is in shambles. I'm not going to make any friends with this. I don't care. They all stink all of them and it's time that somebody said something and it leads to shit like Big E is proving he belongs in this spot tonight feels every bit on the level of Roman you love to see it hashtag survivor series when the complete opposite is occurring And circling back, none of them have the guts to say it, except for me. And this is why. It's not to kiss WWE's ass. It's not to retain their access. It's because they fear the fans. These sites do not want to run off the WWE fans, because that's where the money is. You've heard Rich and I say it a million times. If we were in this to make the most money possible, we would put out tweets like this one. Happy for Big E. He's wrestling one of the top stars in all of pro wrestling. Hashtag Survivor Series. All while understanding that they weren't really pushing the man. Because that's where the money is. It's a shell game where you don't want to run off the WWE fans. You don't want them to think you're anti-WWE, like that dastardly Dave Meltzer. So they all want to fill the niche of the WWE-friendly site. That, and half the people making these tweets, quite honestly, don't know what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to pro wrestling. That's the other factor. But it's embarrassing. And I'm not suggesting that if all of these sites held WWE's feet to the fire with things like the pathetic Biggie push, that WWE would care or change anything. Of course they wouldn't. They don't care what anybody thinks. But at least they'd show some guts and we'd get some honesty out of these people. And the state of wrestling media wouldn't be in the dog shit state that it is today. It's a joke. I feel like I'm the only one telling the truth about this Big E push. And it's only because I've wanted this guy pushed for the last half decade. So it's frustrating and it's annoying. If this was the Miz, I wouldn't care. But they're blowing it with this guy because they don't care and it's frustrating. And here's what sums it up better than anything. Raw does 1.69 million viewers. A terrible number. But they're up from the horrendous numbers that they've been doing. During this failure of a Big E title reign. Which is not capturing the attention. Of wrestling fans. Despite what you read on Twitter. If you only followed wrestling on Twitter. You would think that Big E. Is the second coming of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Nary a bad word. About this title reign. Why? Everybody likes Big E. Myself included. And nobody wants to tell the truth. About this pathetic title reign. Because they don't want to run off the people that like Big E. And yeah, the raw number was up from its previously pathetic numbers over the last six weeks. But you know why it was up? Because of an egg. Because of an egg. It had nothing to do with Big E. We saw the numbers that Big E was pulling. The egg is a bigger draw than Big E. And isn't that the perfect summary for everything I've said? We'll be back. All right, what do we got here? This is MyBookie. MyBookie. We hope you didn't fill up on Turkey Day, because at MyBookie, the fun is just getting started. This Cyber Monday, MyBookie is giving you a bet one, get one free promotion on the Monday night football games. That's right. Bet one, get one free. On Cyber Monday, bet against the spread on the Week 12 Monday night football game and whatever you wager up to $100, you'll receive that same value back in a risk-free bet for Week 13's Monday Night Game. MyBookie is the only sports book where buy one, get one means you're the one holding the bag. Don't miss out. Head to MyBookie.ag this Monday to get in on this exclusive promotion. And to set the stage, before you redeem the buy one, get one free promotion... Why not wager on the biggest matchup of week 12, the Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers? In a clash of NFC juggernauts, don't look for either side to hold back and bet the over and thank me later. That's the ad copy. That is not Joe Lanza's advice. That is the ad copy's advice. Set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when you use promo code voices at mybookie. That's promo code voices. Double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000 and can get in on this Mondays, buy one, get one free, wager up to $100, and you'll receive that same value back in a risk-free bet for the Week 13 Monday Night Game. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Okay, so... Before we get to the rest of the show, I want to take a couple of minutes to uh, talk about an in-house topic. Now that the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed, I wanted to take a few minutes to thank both the WrestleNomics podcast hosted by Brandon Thurston and the guys over at Everything Elite. Uh, as most of you may or may not know, I don't know how many of you are listeners to the uh, the rest of the shows on the network, Both of those shows have moved on from the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. And we'll start with WrestleNomics, which of course started many years ago. The original host of WrestleNomics Radio was uh, Chris Harrington. Who is now a vice president with All Elite Wrestling. uh, Known as Mookie Ghana, Known as Mook. Known as Mookie. He was the original host of that show. It was originally, if you want a little bit of... uh, Voices of Wrestling lore, and a little Chris Harrington lore, and a little WrestleNomics lore. That show was originally known as Indeed Wrestling. And the original, occasional co-host of that show, working under an assumed name, was none other than Brody Lee. So there is a connection between the Exalted One and the WrestleNomics show that lives on today going all the way back to the earliest days of that show, predating the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network when it was known as Indeed Wrestling. So the show was renamed WrestleNomics, and Chris brought it over to our network many years ago and eventually brought on Brandon Thurston Howard as the co-host Chris moved on, took the job with AEW. Believe it or not, a vice president position with All Elite Wrestling pays better than the uh, WrestleNomics podcast on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. I know that might be hard to believe. So uh, Chris took that job with the show. Continuing on with Brandon, who I think has just done a tremendous job with the show. It was a unique concept to begin with. And Chris Harrington did a great job. And Chris and Brandon did a great job. And it's really still the only podcast of its kind that covers the business side of wrestling and Brandon has really taken it to a whole new level. Now he still brings Chris on occasionally. Chris is, um, I wouldn't call him an occasional co-host, but I would call him a, an occasional guest. But, uh, for my money, Brandon Thurston is, uh, the most prolific and best business analyst in the entire pro wrestling space. I know I just spent, An entire segment basically shitting on wrestling media. But uh, there are some good ones out there. And I think Brandon is the best at what he does. I think he has surpassed. Or at least at minimum equaled Dave Meltzer. In that particular niche. Because Dave's attention is on a million different things. Whereas Brandon just hyper focuses on the business side. And it's been a lot of fun as a friend. And a fan of Brandon's to watch that show grow and evolve. And um, his new co-host, Chris Gullo, I think they have uh, very good chemistry. And Brandon has really taken it to another level. Um, he, I consider him a friend. He, I'm a supporter of his Patreon. I think everybody should be for $5 a month. You just get incredible uh, business information uh, when it comes to television ratings and and things like that. But uh, as far as the podcast goes. Both of these podcast moves. Uh, neither of these were, were snap decisions. They were both. Uh, took some time to to develop. We knew both shows were leaving well in advance. And in the case of WrestleNomics. Brandon really wants to grow this thing. And he felt that being on our podcast network. He sort of uh, topped out his growth. And picked up all of the listeners he was going to pick up on our network. So he felt like uh, finding another podcast feed would give him an opportunity to pick up some new listeners and expose his show to a different kind of audience. And uh, he felt that the post-wrestling podcast feed would be his best opportunity to do that, both in terms of the size of, of their site, and the fit, and and it being a good fit for his show, and we agreed. You know, as soon as he said he wanted to move the post, and that uh and listen, post they didn't come snipe our show. There was no back alley shenanigans here. Uh, this was Brandon wanting to uh, move his show to another podcast feed, and post being the choice. And John and Y being open to that. And in fact, uh, we collectively, the five of us, Rich and I, along with Brandon, John, and Y, uh, figured out the best time for the show to move over. Uh, we suggested a time that we thought worked best for everybody and they agreed. So, uh, there was nothing contentious here. There's nothing contentious with either of these shows leaving. Definitely not this one. I mean, Brandon still pops into our discord. Brandon's still a part of our, our, our voice of wrestling Slack chat. I mean, you know, so, um, you know, there's, there's nothing contentious here. He's just trying to grow. So, uh, Voice of Wrestling, throughout the years, it's, you know, I always say it, we're too small to be big, and we're too big to be small. And we've seen a number of people, I used to keep a list, I don't keep a list anymore, I've seen a number of people start with us, either, you know, doing unpaid writing, or doing podcasts, or doing writing for very little money, and then moving on to bigger and better things. And we've always not only encouraged that, would have been proud of it. I mean, you know, uh the number of people who started writing for our site and then earned paid writing gigs with Fighting Spirit magazine. I mean, there's at least a half a dozen of us including myself. I mean, I was a columnist. I wrote about three features for Fighting Spirit, Fighting Spirit magazine and I wrote countless pay-per-view reviews for that magazine for a several-year period. So I myself can speak to that, let alone your Sean Cedors and and the rest of our staff, Andrew Sinclair, to name a few, who off of their work from Voices of Wrestling, parlayed that into paid gigs with with Fighting Spirit Magazine, which we all miss. And, uh, you know, I, I miss that gig and I miss that magazine. And then you have people like Brian Rose, who... Uh, moved on to a to a paying gig with uh, Figure Four Weekly and is still there today. The aforementioned Chris Harrington is now a vice president for the second biggest wrestling promotion in the United States. Uh, he's not the only person from our staff who has earned a job with a major league wrestling promotion. Of course, there's Garrett Kidney with his on-again, off-again status uh, running Impact's social media and Twitter feed. So... Uh, We've always sort of been proud to be a stepping stone for people to break in. And we're big enough to get you some exposure. Maybe make a couple of bucks if you're doing a podcast. And then hopefully catch the attention of something a little bigger. And continue to grow and and make some more money off of this. And, And Brandon wants to grow. And I can't disagree with him that the post-wrestling feed, the post-podcast feed, rather, probably presents him an opportunity to pick up some new listeners that may not even know his show existed. And I think that the post-audience is probably the best audience out there in terms of wrestling sites, in terms of a, a fit for the type of fans that might want to listen to his show. So nothing has changed other than WrestleNomics has switched podcast feeds. You know, so Brandon's still a part of our Slack. And I still consider him a friend, obviously. That wasn't going to change. Due to him wanting to put his podcast on a different podcast feed. Um, All of his work is still appearing on his independent site. So, uh, hopefully this move is good for Brandon. And it's good for WrestleNomics. We're proud that WrestleNomics got its start on our podcast network and has grown to what it is. He has a successful Patreon now. And again, this is not me blowing smoke. I think he's the best at what he does. And, um, it sounds silly. Cause I, I don't feel like he's gone anywhere or, or anything like that, but I wish him the best because I, I, I hope this works for him. And I hope that his show does grow. And I hope that, you know, like a lot of us in this, he, he no longer has to go to that that shoot job and he can do this full time because he puts in the kind of work and he and his output is such that uh, I think he deserves to make a living uh, based on what he's doing. So uh, we say goodbye to WrestleNomics from our podcast feed. If you're wondering where it's been, well, that's the answer. So it's not on our... Uh, Voice Wrestling Podcast feed anymore. But if you were listening to the show on The Independent. See we have all of the shows appear on our podcast feed. And then all the shows also. We give all the shows their own feed as well. So for those of you that were always listening to WrestleNomics. On the WrestleNomics feed. Nothing really changed for you. Because we don't claim any ownership. To these shows. Or the work that people put out. Um, We don't sign anybody to contracts. So when Brandon... And the Everything Elite guys both expressed interest in moving on. Yeah, you know, there's there's no debates to be had. There's no arguments. We give them their feed, and their podcast feed is now their own to do whatever they wish with it. And we don't claim any ownership of, you know, all of the other audio they produce. No, it's theirs. So um, if you were listening on the WrestleNomics feed, nothing changed for you. If you were someone who was listening on the Voices of Wrestling podcast feed, were all of the pod, all 12 shows on our network or whatever it is. And you're wondering where wrestlenomics is. Well, you can find it. Just search for wrestlenomics on your podcatcher, whatever you use and uh, subscribe to the wrestlenomics feed or the post feed. But, uh, you know, I would just suggest subscribing directly to Brandon's feed. So, uh, that's the story there. And, you know, in our discord, we, Yeah, I kind of tried to nip it in the bud, but there were people starting rumors, you know, everything that these moves may have, uh, you know, been there may have been bad blood or something contentious. Absolutely not. So I figured once everything was settled and the ink was dry and all that and both shows were officially off the feed, I would say something on the show. So that's what I'm doing today. When it comes to the everything elite guys, again, this was a move. That was months in the making. These guys have been planning leaving the network for some time because they want to gamble on themselves. They want to go, well, they have gone independent. So, you know, uh, again, this wasn't some kind of rash decision or something that happened overnight. Uh, They had been mulling this for months. They let us know well in advance what they wanted to do. Uh, We helped them out again with their podcast feed and made sure they were all set up with that and uh, had ownership of their own feed uh, and, and, and made sure that was removed from our network. They had new artwork set up and everything, and they want to try some things uh, that are a little different. I'm not going to give away their plans that I'm privy to, but you're going to see those guys. If you listen to everything elite, try some different things and try some new things. And they wanted to do it on their own. You know, they didn't want to do it. Uh, they feel like they've gotten to the point where they can take this risk and and do the show on their own because they've they've got a solid listener base and they also have a successful Patreon similar to WrestleNomics, so uh, they're they're giving it a go for themselves. So again, uh, not to repeat the same talking points with WrestleNomics, but uh, we think that's great. You know, we've had writers and contributors move on, we've had podcasts move on. That's how it works. You know, and I consider all those guys friends, too. Um, You know, that show started as everything evolves with the two Aarons, A, B, and A, T, Aaron Bentley and Aaron Taub, uh, both of which uh, I consider friends of mine. And they really did a great job covering Evolve Wrestling. And you may remember they got into a little bit of hot water with Gabe Sapolsky because Gabe was a listener of the show. A lot of wrestlers were a listener of the show. Who else was covering Evolve in podcast form? It was those guys. And they did a great job. I was a guest on that show multiple times. And they had acquired, and some people may not know this or remember this, they had acquired an internal document from Gabe to the roster. And it was sort of the first evidence that Evolve had some sort of working relationship with WWE. And I remember the Aaron's coming to me and asking for advice. They're like, should we run with this? This is a big story. And 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 I told them, absolutely. I said, it's newsworthy. And if you guys want to run with this, run it. And you've got my back. You've got my full support. Uh, Rich, you've got Rich and I's support. And if Gabe or anybody else is upset, because obviously we had had Gabe on our own show a few times and have a professional and or had haven't talked to him in ages, but had a professional relationship with Gabe, and I think those guys were concerned about that and I was like, don't worry about it well, you know if Gabe wants to be mad at us, he can be mad at us I'm I you know you guys have a legitimate news story here. it's gonna be good for your show, and if you want to run with it, run with it. you've got my full support and they did and uh Sapolsky was not happy, but you know he got over it and and he was a guest on our show after all of that went down so. Those guys ran the story. I I think I don't think uh, Gabe is sending those guys Christmas cards or Hanukkah cards in the case of uh, AT, but uh, but you know I I had their back and Aaron Bentley is someone who's had my back over the years when I've made his life difficult with all of my various. Uh, hey, listen, I said it at the top. I'm chaotic good. I'm your favorite chaotic good podcast host and. I've made uh, life not so easy for a lot of people at Voices of Wrestling. Aaron, one of them, he's always defended me. He's always had my back. I've always appreciated that. I consider him a friend. Same thing for AT, who came over in the early days of everything Elite when they uh, when they when they switched over to covering AEW. But AT is busy with much more important stuff than pro wrestling, so I don't know how often he's been on the show lately. But uh, Iron Mike Spears, obviously. Does a tremendous job. Nate is someone I've met a couple of times, and uh, I think mean, he's a cool guy as well. And um, look, I've always had Aaron's back. It, you know, not that long ago, on his show, you know, Aaron said that he hopes Bobby Fish dies. Not something I'd ever say about a wrestler, but you know what? He's always had my back. I've always had his. And when people came to me privately to complain about somebody on my podcast network saying that they wish they, you know, they were hoping a wrestler would die. I said, "Hey, look, that's take it up with AB. He's got my support. I'm not pulling the show. I'm not pulling the clip. He said it. He'll own it. He, you know, and he'll have to own it. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, what do you want me to do about it? It's their show. We've never con- tried to control the content of any of the shows on our network, and uh, I can't say we never will. I mean, <laughs> there may be something at some point where we'd have to step in, but we really never want to." And we've never dictated direction uh, or what people talk about. So, uh, you know, there's been multiple instances where, uh, where, where AB has had my full support, even when it's made life difficult for me. And he's had my back when, uh, when it's made life difficult for him. And, and hopefully, even with the show moving on, uh, that will remain because I do consider him a friend uh, as well. Along with, uh, you know, Iron Mike Spears, of course. His other show, the uh, Open the Voice Gate, which started with John Carroll. But John started Omokase. So it's been Iron Mike Spears and Case Low for a number of years now. And that show's staying on the network. That's not going anywhere. So, uh, again, Iron Mike Spears, we still retain both a uh, personal and business relationship with him. As his other show remains on the network. But yeah, these guys had this planned for a number of months. And uh, we knew well in advance. And if you are a listener of their show, you know they've got all kinds of new artwork and everything for all of their shows. Both public and Patreon. And they're going to be rolling out. I've heard some of their plans for some of the things they want to start doing. And it sounds like exciting stuff. So, again, no bad blood whatsoever on our end, on Rich and I's end. And um, I have no reason to believe that there's any bad blood on their end either, just to clarify um, anything from that standpoint. Because I, you know, a few people said some stupid things on the Discord and trying to drum up some controversy. There is none. I mean, there's none. This is how these things work. I mean, you know, some, these shows grow. And look, we provide a great outlet. Because we have an established podcast feed that's a decade old. And if you've got a good show, and we've been pitched dozens of shows over the years. And we reject most of them. But the shows we take on, they need to be unique, number one. We don't want 19 shows reviewing Raw, okay? they got to be unique. And you've got to be either a proven player in the podcast game. Or somebody who we feel like is going to be able to prove themselves. Because we don't want to take on shows and then they do two or three episodes and they burn out. And that's a waste of everybody's time. And we've been burned a couple of times with shows where we were confident that they would last and they didn't. Our judgment's usually spot on. But we have been burned one or two times with some shows that didn't last. So, uh, anyway, the point I was making was... Because our podcast feed is established, it's a good opportunity for shows, if Rich and I want to take them on, to jump in an established feed, with an established listenership, and get you off on a good start. So you don't have to start with six listeners on your first show the way Rich and I did. You come in, and there's thousands upon thousands of established listeners to all of the other shows on the network who you have an opportunity to capture With your content if you're good. And then at some point. If you feel like you've maximized your growth with us like Brandon did. Or if you feel like you want to take a chance. And try things on your own. Like the everything elite guys are doing. That happens. It happens. Just like when writers and contributors move on. And again. Rich and I would never take offense to something like that. And it's something that we've always been proud of. So um, those were two great shows that we were proud to help in in whatever percentage of the responsibility for their success that, you know, you guys want to pin on us or those shows want to pin on us. They were the ones at the end of the day producing the content, and they were the ones that earned those audiences. So... Uh, they've done a great job, and we're proud that they got their start here, both of those shows. And I can still consider all of those guys a very good friends. I still have contact with everybody. So um, if you were listeners of those shows, keep listening. If you're wondering why they're not on the podcast feed anymore, uh, seek out their uh, independent feeds and continue listening to them that way. And I just want to thank all of those guys for, uh, you know, the tremendous content and churning it out every week. And um, I say this all the time, you know, we don't break rocks doing a podcast, but it it, it is a grind. And anyone who has done audio will tell you that. To put out a weekly show, the way that WrestleNomics does, the way that Everything Elite does, with all the bonus content that those guys do as well. Uh, I could tell you firsthand, it's not easy. You have to love doing it. And in a lot of cases, it's for very little money. Uh, we were very, Rich and I were very proud to move from our previous podcast host to Red Circle. And that's because our previous podcast host, Audio Boom, they weren't selling ads for any of the shows other than the flagship. And shake them ropes. And we didn't think that was right. Everybody was working hard. Producing weekly content. And delivering numbers. Delivering listeners. And Audio Boom just wasn't putting in the effort. Now we could have stayed with Audio Boom. And we would have been just fine. We were getting ads. Okay. But we wanted everybody to get a taste. And we wanted to take care of all of our shows. And... Red Circle made us a great offer and they made us a lot of promises and believe me it was a lot of work to move all of the shows over to Red Circle a lot of work for rich it was it was no work for me <laughs> but for rich on the back end it was a ton of work and and it really stressed rich out and without getting too much behind the curtain it's a lot of work for rich and i to post all of the shows because not to get you know i no one really cares but the process of uploading the shows on red circle is very different than the process of uploading the shows on audio boom and rich and i have to personally upload every show on both feeds every week and this is more work for us and but our concern was making sure that all of the shows had an opportunity to make money and that wasn't happening on audio boom and red circle has delivered on all of their promises they have made legitimate attempts To sell ads for all of our shows. And yes, the shows that perform better earn more ads. And they earn more ad dollars. And they earn uh, more ad uh, opportunities than the shows that do less listeners. But they have made a concerted effort to sell for everyone. And I think every show on our network, maybe with the exception of one or two, have at least at some point had a live ad read on the show. And everybody's making a few bucks now where that wasn't the case on Audio Boom, And that was so important to Rich and I. And it makes us feel good that we were able to bring the entire podcast network over to Red Circle. And now everybody's making a few bucks. And like I said, nobody's getting rich on this. But we feel good that everybody at least feels like they're getting something back with all the work they put in. And all of the great listenerships that they've built up, and you know our shows on our network do some very solid numbers. And you guys know because you listen, and you're inundated with all of these ads, whether it's the live read ads or the pre rolls or the mid the automatic mid rolls that you listen to. I know they're annoying, but you have to think of it as at least everyone could get a little bit of taste and make a little money out of this. Out of all the hard work they that they do to give you guys this entertainment. Okay, so you got to slap the 15-second-ahead button a few times. It's it's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. So um, so once again, I say thank you to WrestleNomics. I say thank you to everything elite. Formerly, everything evolves. And uh, I know those shows, both of those shows, the work ethic is there. And they're going to keep doing a great job and hopefully keep uh, building – their listener base, and building an audience, and and growing, and look, we've been talking to some other podcasts, and you know, uh, nothing set in stone yet. I was gonna wait to see if we do get some of the new shows to to do all this at once, but I didn't want to wait. I wanted to make sure that uh, I thank those two shows, and we'll see what happens with the other shows that we're talking to. It's a constant state of flux with this stuff. I don't know if. Some of you have seen what's going on with the Arcadian Vanguard Network. That's the network that Brian Last and Jim Cornette are on, and Brian Last has a whole host of shows. and He lost a bunch of shows over the last couple months for a variety of different reasons that I'm not going to get into. Uh, most of those reasons are public, but, you know, the, uh, the the Robert Fuller show is no longer on that network. The The John Arezzi show has, has gone independent. The um, the Charting the Territory show is is no longer on that network. That's how this works. Shows move on. And sometimes it's contentious and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes you're just looking for different opportunity. And we are very lucky to say that in our case, uh, it has never been contentious. And it hasn't been with these two shows. So um, wish them the best. And hopefully anybody listening to this that has been a listener of those shows still is because uh, nothing really changes other than the podcast feed. They're still putting out quality work and you should still support them. And they're both still on Red Circle too, which I think is great as well because obviously uh, uh they feel like when we made that move, it was a positive move for everybody because they've kept their shows uh, with that host. So, uh, again, we're proud that we were able to to help these shows grow and, and move on to what they're doing now. So I just wanted to take a minute to thank those guys and explain to you guys uh, some of the changes that had gone on. So uh, we'll be back with our next topic.
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. off Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast
0: It is Thursday, November 25th, 2021. I am Joe, and these are your Thursday TV reviews. You're probably very confused right now. That's the open to the Thursday TV reviews that we do each and every Thursday on the flagship Patreon $5 tier. We review Dynamite, we review MLW Fusion Alpha. We will not be doing that today. Uh, And we go over the ratings. With the Thanksgiving holiday, with the ratings not coming out until like the middle of next week. You know what? We're going to do the Thursday TV reviews right here on the flagship. How about that? How about that? So, if you like what you hear, if you want to get top ace ratings analysis each and every week, if you want those MLW Fusion Alpha reviews in addition to Dynamite, then you might consider subscribing to the Voices of the Wrestling Patreon, $5 tier, Thursday TV reviews every single week. Uh, many people say that it is their favorite piece of audio behind the paywall. And uh, you're going to get a little taste, as 2.0 like to say, Matt Martell, whatever he calls himself now. You're going to get a little taste of the Thursday TV reviews for free on this week's flagship, thanks to the uh, wackiness of the Thanksgiving holiday. So let's do it. We don't have any ratings to talk about, so we could jump right into the show. Right into Dynomite. And we open up with CM Punk coming down to the ring for his match against QT Marshall. He is interrupted by MJF's music. And what happened from here ran 21 minutes long and may have been. The best promo segment in the history of televised wrestling. I thought this was fucking incredible. Two of the best to ever do it. Just destroying each other on the microphone. The Chicago crowd in the palms of their hands. And I believe this is going to go down... As one of the most memorable and legendary. Moments. In the history of Dynamite. When it's all said and done. I mean you're not going to forget this. I mean this was great. And normally I'm not a fan of starting the show. With the, the old 20 minute promo. But when it's this good. And it's two people this good. And they deliver the way that this did. There's an exception for everything. And then when you take into account. That they immediately followed this with the CM Punk-QT-Marshall match. Which went exceedingly long. And was not a great match by any means. And ran through a commercial break. The idea here was very clear. And that idea was to keep CM Punk on camera for 40 minutes. It's the day before Thanksgiving. They have never done a good rating on the day before Thanksgiving. They're paying CM Punk a fortune. And they were going to get their money's worth tonight. And they immediately opened the show with Cult of Personality. And he was on screen for 38 total minutes. The first 38 minutes of this show. And that was by design. Because they wanted to capture viewers right from the jump. And they wanted to keep them through the first two quarter hours and into the third. And CM Punk is their their most uh, reliable ratings draw. No matter what a lot of these goofs will tell you, these, these goofballs in the wrestling media who, who can't analyze ratings to save their lives, CM Punk is their most reliable ratings draw. And he's still a draw every time he hits the screen. So um, that was clearly the idea behind all of this. And I think that's why the QT-Marshall match ran as long as it did. Uh, not that I enjoy, Not that I enjoyed it, believe me. It wasn't a very good match. But uh, they were going to milk CM Punk, for all it was worth here, to try to salvage this number. And I saw Dave Meltzer talking about this earlier in the night. But they never do a good rating on this. But they always do a big DVR number for this show. So uh, that tells you that their audience uh, goes out the day before Thanksgiving. So um, a lot of CM Punk, though, to open the show. Look, I can't do this segment, any justice. I mean, I could give you the highlights, but this is go out of your way to see stuff to open this show. And now CM Punk versus MJF, which, you know, was a program that I think people wanted to see, uh, ever since CM Punk came into the company, it now feels like a super hot match. And I don't know. I think if on that first, uh, show that airs on TBS. If you go with Hangman Page versus Brian Danielson and you go with CM Punk versus MJF, I think you're going to pop a monster number. Now, I don't know if that's the plan. It may not be the plan. They might try to stretch one or even both of those matches out until the next pay-per-view. I don't... I think that's a mistake. You could get one of them on the... uh, Battle of the Belt deal that they're doing in January as well. You can get one or both of those matches, potentially, if they want to pop a big number for that. I would put both of these matches on free TV. You know, when it comes to CM Punk, they have burned off exactly one money match, and that's Darby Allin. When it comes to the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, they have burned off exactly one money match, and that was the Kenny Omega match. Tony Khan, if nothing else, is patient, possibly to a fault when it comes to the pacing of his feuds and the pacing of his big matches. CM Punk and Bryan Danielson have all of their money matches still in front of them. And these are two of them. MJF versus CM Punk is going to be a big money match. And obviously, Brian Danielson challenging Hangman Page for the title. And I don't think it's a mistake to put them on TV. I don't. We all know television is the biggest driver of revenue now. And I think that AEW has done a really good job uh, with the balance of putting some of their big matches on television, but preserving most of their big matches for pay-per-view. But you still have to give away some of those big matches on television... To keep those ratings up. To secure that bag on the next television deal. And I think with the gap between Full Gear and the next pay-per-view. And the big television events that they have coming up. Switching networks and then the special. It's the perfect time to give away a couple of money matches. And I think MJF CM Punk would be a good one to do that with. But this was a home run segment. MJF tells CM Punk that the pipe bomb. Was uh, his best moment. But it was his only moment. While MJF on the other hand. Every time he has a microphone in his hand. He says it's a it's a big moment. And he called Punk a, a one trick pony. He said. It's funny you're straight edge. But you look like a meth addict. Which was a line. That, now listen. The fans were with every line of this. From both guys. I mean it was just. Uh, it was just tremendous stuff. And then MJF complained that CM Punk has never mentioned his name when he talks about all the young stars that he wants to work with and challenge himself against. And God damn it, that's something I had never noticed. And be honest with yourself, maybe you didn't notice either. But this company, man, they get you with this shit. Shit you're not even thinking about, shit you don't even notice, shit that you notice but you don't think it's going to matter. And it's true. He never talks about MJF when he lists off all these young wrestlers he wants to talk about. And now they have uh, deliberately done that because they knew they were going to weave it into a storyline later. And, of course, MJF is like, you've never named me because you don't want none. So Punk says, yeah, it was by design. I'm not feeding your ego. You're just a mark who had my poster on your wall. And I came down last week, and I shut up the great MJF without even saying a word. You're nothing but a less famous Miz, which popped the crowd. There are oohs and ahs from the crowd during this entire exchange. And again, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to write everything down. There were just so many great burns in this segment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, MJF says that. Um, Punk is scared, he's struggling to beat weak competition, calls him an ass kisser. He mocks his weekly on-back promos and and tells him that it's all generic shit. He says if anybody needs to go to sleep, judging by his eyes, it's him. I mean, this was all just great stuff. He calls him PG Punk. He says he may as well come out here and, and, and tell everybody about hustle, loyalty, and respect. And in his entire career, he's always been second best. I feel like MJF is listening to my shit. When I did that Intelligentsia a couple weeks ago. And I said, the one thing CM Punk is missing is the chip on his shoulder. And that's what a lot of this stuff was was kind of implying. It's not the same Punk. And that's what MJF was saying. And Punk said, you're right, I was a little scared. I didn't know how I was going to be able to... uh, To stack up against all of these young guys. But I took on the heart and soul of AEW. And that was Darby Allen, And I didn't need a ring to beat him. So of course this cuts MJF to the core. Because Punk says he wanted to take on truly the best. And that was Darby Allen, And of course he beat Darby clean. And MJF needed the ring to beat him. And then he said they like to call MJF one of the four pillars. But MJF is too dumb to even know that he's been replaced by Britt Baker. Which was another line that popped the crowd. They said the only way that MJF would ever be number one. Is if he waited around for Tony Khan to have a daughter so he can marry her. You know there was a lot of WWE burns in this. And... There's probably, like, I don't know this to be a fact, but I'm sure there's some people who think that they should keep WWE out of their mouths, and you know how I feel about that. I say more of that. I love that shit. I say this all the time. AEW's canon is pro-wrestling's canon. It actually makes more sense the other way around. Pro-wrestling's canon is AEW's canon. It's why Bobby Fish hangs around with Adam Cole, even though he's not part of the elite or the super click or anything like that. It's why Ethan Page and Darby Allin reference their past when Ethan Page comes into the company. There's a million examples of it. So I don't have a problem with MJF and CM Punk making WWE references when they're cutting each other up in these promos. Because... They're not treating the fans like idiots. Like WWE doesn't exist. All of this stuff is real and it happened and we know it. And we know that CM Punk had problems in that company. And we know a guy like MJF is going to bring that stuff up. To get under his skin. Bringing up John Cena and Triple H. And all the struggles that Punk had over there. It would be more insulting if he didn't bring that stuff up. So I have no problem with this. I've never had any problem. I I don't have problems with them taking shots at WWE. I don't have any problems with them mentioning WWE. Or weaving WWE stories into their stories. To me those are all positives. The same as weaving an old Evolve storyline. It's an Ethan Page and Darby Allin story. When Ethan Page comes into the company. That shit is good. Because it doesn't... uh, Make us feel like we're idiots for caring about pro wrestling or paying attention to pro wrestling. And uh, they don't work under the premise that AEW is the only promotion in the world that exists or that's the only one that we pay attention to. They basically go out of their way to not insult our intelligence when they do things like this. That's why I'm all for it. And I'll never be against it. So this went about 20, 21 minutes. Punk says he wants to fight him right here. MJF, of course, does the heel thing where he perpetrates like he's going to get in a fight. But then he rolls out of the ring and takes off. So this was great. And now this is a money match. This was a segment where you cannot argue it was a home run. There's no counter-argument. They, look, if, if you didn't think this was a Grand Slam home run, 1,000,000% winner of a segment that has built a money match, you're trying too hard. You're thinking too hard. This was phenomenal. Again, this is going to go down as a legendary segment in the history of Dynamite. There's no question about it. And... I think they should try to find a way to do this match in Chicago. Particularly if MJF is winning the match. Which I think he should, by the way. They should find a way. I don't know when they're coming back to Chicago. I don't know the schedule off the top of my head. I don't know if it lines up with any of these television events I've spoken about. But it would be great if they could do this match in Chicago. Especially if MJF's picking up the victory. The heat would be off the charts. So Punk's taking on QT Marshall. Again, this ran through a commercial break because they were really milking CM Punk here and trying to hold the viewers. We'll see how the quarter hours look when these ratings come out. I think like next Tuesday or something. Who the fuck knows? That's why I'm doing the show now. Squeezing it in. I'm not waiting around to do the ratings. And it was now or never. Can't really do audio on Thanksgiving. I'm doing it in the wee hours here. So Aaron Solo and Nick Camarado, they get thrown out early by the referee. I think it was Paul Turner. This was long. This was not good. This was just a blatant attempt to keep CM Punk on TV. And he eventually wins it with the go to sleep. So uh, I don't have much to add other than um, disproved MJF right. He does struggle with subpar competition because QT Marshall is a lower mid Carter. Uh, practically a prelim wrestler, and Punk really struggled to put this guy away. So, you know, within within kayfabe. You know, the reason... But, you know, I, I get it. I get why they wanted to keep Punk in there for three-quarter hours. I understand that. Shivani is with Christian and the Jurassic Express. Christian's talking about momentum. And he says his two pals are now the number one contenders for the tag team titles. They came up short last time they were number one contenders. But Christian says he's going to make sure that they win these titles this time. That raised my eyebrow a little bit. What does that mean? Is he going to help them cheat? Are we finally going to plant the seeds for this Christian heel turn that I think we all assume is coming at some point? We'll have to see. Eddie Kingston is in catering enjoying a slice of pie. So he's about to comment on Daniel Garcia when Garcia and 2.0 actually enter the room. And they're trying to uh, gas him up. And and uh, they're talking some bullshit. And Kingston's not really buying any of it. But then uh, one of the members of 2.0 throw hot coffee in his face. And we get the big pull apart. So uh, that Kingston-Garcia match is coming up. Next up, we get a very weird match. We get the Gun Club. In this case, uh, Billy Gunn, the Ass Man, and Colton. And they're taking on Bear Country, who we haven't seen on television in a very long time. This match ends when Austin Gunn gets involved, grabs the leg of one of Bear Country behind the referee's back. Colton hits the Colt 45. Need some water here. Probably won't edit that out because this is a, a professional operation. Uh, Austin hits the Colt 45. Uh, no, Colton hits the Colt 45. Why would Austin use a move called the Colt 45 Joe, you dummy? Of course it was Colton. So Colton hits the Colt 45 and picks up the win. For some reason, Jim Ross, who will give him a pass, he's having a rough go medically, but uh, he called this a clean win. I don't know what the fuck he was watching, but this was not a clean win. Austin Gunn clearly was involved. Sting's music hits. He comes out. Austin goes sprinting towards Sting. He's going to attack him. Darby Allen comes flying out of the tunnel in an amazing spot. He gives him a shoulder block with perfect timing, knocking Austin uh, clean off the ramp. It was an incredible spot. And at some point, we're going to get Sting and Darby Allen versus some combination of the gun club. So uh, this is what they like to call... A keep busy feud for Darby before obviously he moves on to bigger and better things at uh, probably the next pay per view or something. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Do I love it? No. Uh, They have protected Gun Club to some degree. They like never lose a match. If you look up their match records as singles, as tags, as trios, they never lose. So uh, they are protected from that standpoint. But at some point, Sting and Darby Allin are going to beat those guys. Uh, Cole and Fish, I talked about them earlier. They are still pals. Uh, they talked about how the Bucs are still not cleared. Adam Cole is complaining because he lost at the pay-per-view. And then they lost last week when they teamed up against Jurassic Express. And uh, they're best friends. And, they you know, it, it's inconceivable to him that they're losing matches. The actual best friends now enter the scene. Chuck Taylor... Uh, Wheeler Utah and uh, Orange Cassidy and they said they overheard them saying that they're best friends but they're the real best friends. Long story short we have a tag team match set up. It's going to be Adam Cole and Bobby Fish versus Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Utah and it looks like that's going to happen on Rampage. So uh, there you go. I'm sure Wheeler Utah has taken the fall there so we'll, we'll get Adam Cole and Bobby Fish back on track. With a win. Shivani is with Team Taz. And they're in a boardroom. And on the other side of the table. Is Dante Martin and Leo Rush. Team Taz offers Dante Martin a contract. they're like this is it. It's your last chance. You're either going to accept this or you're not. Leo Rush is indignant. He's like this is preposterous. Nobody's interested in this uh, dopey contract. So and Taz is like listen it's just business. The kid's either interested or he's not. Why don't you let him make the decision. And uh, Dante Martin doesn't say any words. He signs the contract. Much to Leo Rush's chagrin. He finally accepts the chips. From Hook. Team Taz celebrates. Dante Martin climbs over the table. Exits stage left. With Team Taz. And Leo Rush is distraught. Now. This is pro wrestling. They didn't read what he signed. He could have wrote. Uh, you know, eat shit, hit the bricks instead of actually signing the contract. That's probably what's coming here. It's probably some kind of swerve and he's not really joining Team Taz. Or maybe he did. Maybe the swerve here was that Martin did join Team Taz because all of us thought that he wasn't going to join Team Taz. So I don't know what's going on here. I'm still not writing off my scenario that I pitched last week that this is actually a Lex Luger-Tatanka situation and Leo Rush is the one that ultimately joins Team Taz at the end of all of this. So uh, we'll have to see. But we had Jamie Haytor versus Thunder Rosa in the TBS title tournament. Uh, they had a very good hard-hitting match. Britt Baker breaks up a Thunder Rosa submission attempt behind the referee's back. Hayter holds up Thunder Rosa. Baker goes to throw a super kick. Rosa ducks. She takes out Hator. And then Thunder Rosa rolls her up for the pin. And in the post-match, Jamie Hayter was not happy. And she's shoving Britt Baker. And she left on her own. Um, I don't know if this was a breakup. Seeds planted for a breakup. Or just one of those things. Where a wrestler is actually responding to something in a realistic way. In this scenario, Jamie Hayter would be upset with Britt Baker. Right? So... Maybe she's upset with her in the moment, and it won't lead to anything. And if that's the case, that's good. We need more of that in pro wrestling. Wrestlers reacting in a realistic way, and maybe it doesn't necessarily lead to anything. So that's my hope here. Plus, I think it's a little too early to break up Britt Baker's little unit that she has going here. So I have a feeling it's just going to be one of them things, and they're all going to be on the same page next time. And uh, hopefully that's the case. Chris Jericho's with Alex Marvez. This was a really weird segment because they had 2.0 and Daniel Garcia crash the segment. We just saw these guys throw hot coffee on Eddie Kingston. They're building an Eddie Kingston versus Daniel Garcia match. And now they have Chris Jericho facing off with these guys. Uh, telling Martelli as a squarehead, Getting the fans to chant square at him. What are they doing? Are we building another match? Are we getting a Jericho match against one of these guys or something? It didn't really seem that way. The heels, of course, cowered off. They were telling Jericho to watch his mouth, asking him if he wants a taste as they backed away. But uh, they're already involved in a pro- in a program with Eddie Kingston. So I don't know where this is going. I don't see them pairing up Jericho with Eddie Kingston to, to face these guys. That's not a direction that I think uh, they're going to take with this. So what the fuck was the point of this? It's very rare that AEW does something that doesn't have a point. So I'm sure we're going to get some kind of follow up to this. But uh, this was in the, at least tonight, this was a confusing segment. I have no idea what the point of this was. So Colt Cabana versus Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson promised that he was going to kick Colt Cabana's head in in Chicago, and he did. He not only kicked his head in, he uh, kicked two teeth out of his mouth. I don't know if these were shoot teeth. Um, uh, But either way, it was a really cool visual as during the picture-in-picture commercial after the match, Brian Danielson is picking teeth up off the mat and showing them to the crowd as Colt was uh, no match for this man. And he says uh, next week they're in Atlanta, and he knows a couple Dark Order members are from Atlanta, so he's ready to kick somebody else's head in as well. Uh, He didn't name who he was going to be facing, but he'll be facing one of them, maybe Alan Angles or something like that. Hangman's music hits. The key to this. Is Hangman was wearing his gear. Because if you remember last week. Hangman wasn't wearing his wrestling gear. And that's why Danielson said he didn't want to face him. Because he said you're not prepared. You weren't ready to wrestle. I don't want you to have any excuses. So this week Hangman was ready. And he was in his gear. But then Danielson said look. I already wrestled. So of course you'd come out here. And try to wrestle a tired man. That's not cowboy shit. That's coward shit. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you last week. On the Thursday TV reviews. I love this version of Brian Danielson. And I really want him to beat Hangman Page. And look, I know that's not the right move. And I know it's not going to happen. And in all honesty, I wouldn't book it that way either. Hangman Page should beat Brian Danielson. He should. But a part of me wants Danielson to win this because I love this version of him. It's just, it's just tremendous stuff. Um, and I and yeah, for my taste, I prefer it to Hangman Page. But it wouldn't be the right move, just because I happen to be indifferent on Hangman Page. I have nothing against him. I like watching him wrestle. I'm just not into the Hangman Page story. I'm not into the Hangman Page thing like a lot of other people are. This version of Danielson is awesome, and I would love to see this version of him as champion. But, uh, it, it, but it objectively, to me, it would be the wrong move. Uh, you c- you can't beat Hangman that quickly after the guy just won the title. Uh, but, you know, but who knows? I mean, you never know. We'll see how the rest of the build goes, and maybe I'll change my mind on that. But they have a short brawl, and uh, and Danielson, of course, takes powder and gets out of there. So. Uh, I think the build to this so far has been uh, tremendous as well. So, like I said, they've got two big money matches that they're building right now, and uh, both of these builds have been have been fantastic. So, the show ended with the eight man tag FTR, Malachi Black and Andrade versus the Lucha Brothers Pac and Cody. Mega, mega heat for this all around. And if you're still one of these geeks complaining that you know Cody gets booed. What are you complaining about? The atmosphere in his matches... The atmosphere tonight was outstanding. You know, it used to be, depending on the city, he'd get booed or cheered. Now every city's booing him. And what's happening now is these fans are taking such glee in booing this man. Now they're playing along to this thing. And the atmosphere was just so great tonight. They'd be cheering everybody else. Cody would tag in. He'd get like caught in the corner and beat up, and the crowd would go crazy in all of the right ways. And Cody's playing it up. In the post-match, he gets DDT'd by Andrade on the... This was after the, they left television. Gets DDT'd by Andrade on the floor. Crowd explodes. They go nuts. Uh, crage tells me the crowd was more split than you might think. So he's still getting cheers from like half the crowd. He's getting booed by the other half. But then Cody teases going through the heel tunnel. I mean, this is just... This is great stuff. And I don't know why people are worked up by it. Like, if he turns heel, then it's not as fun to boo him. Because now you're just doing what you're supposed to do. What they have fooled the fans into doing, okay, is making them think that they're reacting in a way that that is, like, rebellious. In a way that Cody doesn't want them to react. Which is the exact way he wants them to react. It's the Hulk Hogan tweet all over again. Good night, Jabroni Marks, who don't know a work from a work, and you work yourself into a shoot, brother. I mean, that's what this is. And it's great. And the atmosphere is always great. So, I mean, you know, I I just... I don't know. I'm I'm so tired of talking about this. But I enjoy the hell out of it. And I think it's one of the best things going on the show. So, anyway. Andrade pins Pac. Cody accidentally kicked Pac in the face. And uh, so, obviously... You know, I, I think we're going to get Cody and Pac at some point because they're they're uneasy, you know, pals anyway. They just have a common enemy, and uh, Andrade eventually wins the match with like the Hammerlock DDT after Pac got misted by Malachi Black. This match ruled, easy notebook match, red hot crowd, uh, just great stuff all the way through. Cody threw his weight belt into the crowd and it got thrown back at him. I mean, everything about this was red hot and felt like a big match and felt like a great match. Uh, I'd probably go four, four and a quarter, somewhere in that neighborhood for this. And it was a really good finish to what was a show that had a great opening 20 minutes and then a great Danielson-Hangman-Page confrontation and a great main event. You could probably skip everything in the middle. So, I can't call it a great Dynamite, but it had three really great segments. So, fuck it. Maybe it was a great Dynamite. We'll be right back. Alright, so that was an abbreviated version of the Thursday TV reviews that uh, we normally do behind the paywall every Thursday. Where we review Dynamite, MLW Fusion Alpha, and also run down the ratings for Dynamite. And sometimes the ratings for some of the other shows as well. And do a breakdown of that, and uh, those shows usually run anywhere from forty-five minutes to a little bit over an hour. And uh, as I said earlier, there are some of the that's some of the uh, uh, more popular content that we do behind the paywall among the listeners with those Thursday TV review breakdowns. So, uh, if you like what you heard with the abbreviated version of that this week on the flagship, consider subscribing for five bucks and you can listen to that every week. So we have a couple more quick hitter topics I want to get to before we wrap this up, this special uh, Thanksgiving week edition of the flagship. It's been a crazy week. We've been doing a lot of the uh, observer hall of fame audio. Three of those shows are up as I record this and the fourth and fifth shows are coming very soon. We did the Mexico region with the Cubs fan We did the uh, Japanese region with Alan 4L, and then we did the U.S.-Canada Modern region with Trevor Dame. So uh, three of those shows are in the can and posted behind the paywall and are all getting rave reviews. There is a fourth show coming up that may be posted by the time some of you listen to this, and that's with Chris Zellner. Always a tremendous Hall of Fame guest. And with Chris, we are going to talk about, uh, probably focus on the historical U.S.-Canada part of the ballot. But uh, we've got him earmarked for just general conversation on the Hall of Fame. So we'll probably touch on a number of the categories with a a focus on the historical U.S.-Canada. And then we have a fifth show planned as well. That will cover the non-wrestlers with a uh, first-time Hall of Fame guest. I'll just tease that one. I won't give that one away, but that will be with a with a first-timer. So, the one Hall of Fame comment uh, content is... Hey, listen, it's 2.30 in the morning on Thanksgiving. So, uh, you gotta forgive me if I misspeak a little bit. It's been something else putting together this flagship. I've been recording this in... Bits and pieces over like the last 32 hours in between the Hall of Fame audio, in between various Thanksgiving meals, uh, waiting for everybody to go to bed and fall asleep. So uh, I wanted to get a flagship out this week, though. I knew it was going to be a challenge for Rich and I to get together when we were already getting together to do the uh, Hall of Fame audio, which we want to make sure we get out before the voting deadline, which is coming up very soon, so the voters can at least You know, hopefully some of the voters are using our audio to help them fill out their ballots and make decisions. So we want to make sure we get all of that recorded and out before the ballots are due. So between that and the Thanksgiving holiday and everything else, uh, it was going to be very tricky for Rich and I to get together to do a show. But uh, I figured that I could cobble one together before Friday. But uh, it is 2.30 in the a.m., on Thanksgiving night slash Friday morning, whatever day it is. And I am a bit delirious, so you're going to have to excuse me if I have some uh, verbal flubs as we move along here. But at any rate, the Hall of Fame audio is behind the paywall as we speak, and there's going to be at least two more shows coming. And you can listen to all of that on the $5 tier as well. So uh, speaking of the paywall want to talk briefly about this New Japan Pro-Wrestling Pro-Wrestling Noah joint show that's coming up Wrestle Kingdom Night 3 and this is going to be a joint promotion show between New Japan and Pro-Wrestling Noah and it's going to be branded as Wrestle Kingdom. It's that third Wrestle Kingdom show that's a couple days after the double dome We've got full details on this show and how it came together behind the paywall on the $5 tier. I did a breaking news report on that. So uh, these are details that nobody else has reported anywhere. So this is literally the only place on earth you're going to get this stuff. If you want to know how that show came together, uh, who were the key people on both sides who helped put it together and sort of smooth over some of the potential... Uh, political obstacles that it takes to put together a show like this, what the New Japan office's thoughts are on doing this show and doing other joint promotion shows moving forward, what other promotions New Japan is talking to, what wrestlers on the New Japan side that some of the people on the NOAA side are not looking forward to working with and potentially want to possibly keep off the show, what matches were pitched by the biggest stars on both sides, and why some of those matches that have been pitched may not happen. What pro wrestling Noah Starr didn't want to bury New Japan in any of his promos. If you notice, wrestlers from both sides are already cutting promos on the other side. They've been encouraged to, to kind of talk trash about the other promotion. Uh, some of Okada stuff has just been hilarious. I mean, he's just completely no-selling Noah. He, he, you know, he, he doesn't know who their champion is. He doesn't understand why they're working with a minor league promotion. I mean, Okada stuff has just been brilliant. But there's one wrestler on the Noah side who refuses to talk trash about the New Japan side. We have that in our report, and we tell you why he doesn't want to talk trash about the New Japan side. So if you want all of those incredible details on this, on this huge news... You can read that report on our $5 tier. Now, I'm sure we'll talk about this show at length on a future flagship, on a bunch of future flagships. I just want to give a few quick thoughts now. Uh, I think it's an excellent idea. And I like the idea of these two promotions working together. These are obviously Noah. With the backing of their parent company and New Japan, with the backing of their parent company, uh, these are two—you know—arguably at this point the two biggest promotions in Japan. I mean, you could argue that Noah is on their way to surpassing Dragon Gate. It's tough to tell in the pandemic with uh, with the pandemic attendances, but when we get full crowds back, it's entirely possible that Noah will be doing bigger crowds than Dragon Gate. I, I think that they'll be neck and neck. We'll have to see. But uh, either way, these are two of the bigger promotions in Japan with, with some of the, uh, you know, with inarguably the strongest parent companies. So to do a show like this, and it'll it'll bring a lot of attention to wrestling in Japan with these two companies working together. And uh, for now, all is good on the political front in terms of the two sides working hand-in-hand with each other to make sure the show comes off smoothly. I'm sure there'll be some potholes in the highway, so to speak, as as we draw closer to the show and maybe coming out of the show. But for now, everything is all good. All I'm hoping for as a fan is that by the time this show rolls around, we've got, at minimum, crowds that can cheer. Full crowds, I don't want to get greedy, but at minimum... In Yokohama, when this show goes off on January 8th, I would really like to see crowds that can finally let loose and cheer and make some noise. Because I have had enough of pandemic-era wrestling in Japan. And tickets, the initial ticket sales were tremendous. I mean, you know, people are into the idea of the show. So if they're able to open up the whole building, I feel like there's a very good chance it could sell out. So if we have a sold-out building with fans going crazy for these inter-promotional matches, and hopefully we get all of the singles matches that have been teased. That's not set in stone yet, by the way. That's all in the report behind the paywall. But, you know, if we get Okada versus Kiyomiya and some of these other singles matches that have been pitched, and that some of these guys are are uh, blatantly hyping already publicly. I mean, Will Ospreay has called out Marafuji. Marafuji has called out Will Ospreay. Hiroki Goto is trying to set up a match with Takashi Segera. Segera kind of blew him off. That could all be kayfabe, and it probably is. And, of course, we have uh, Kiyomiya. He's been calling out Okada uh, seemingly for years at this point. So hopefully we get the singles matches, and it's not just a bunch of six-man tags, but either way, I think fans are excited about this, both in Japan and in the West. It's getting a ton of buzz in the West. And I don't know why you wouldn't be excited about it. It's a great idea. So hopefully at minimum, we can get some cheering crowds. I think fans in Japan are dying to uh, finally make some real noise at a wrestling show. And I think it'll come across a lot like when AEW first broke uh, the ice here in the United States. the post-COVID and how hot those shows were, I think we're going to see something similar if this is the first high-profile show where fans are allowed to cheer. And maybe we'll get it in the Tokyo Dome, you know, a couple days earlier too. Who knows? But uh, either way, that's my hope for this because I think, you know, if, if we could have some cheering crowds... Uh, then I'm very much looking forward to this. If it's still the same old COVID stuff with the restricted crowds and they can't cheer, then I'm going to be honest. It does temper my enthusiasm a bit for the show because I've just, I've just not that it won't be a historical show or a good show, but I don't know that I could get excited about it at the same level uh, with these depressing clap crowds. It just sucks the juice right out of everything. And it would really be a shame for a show like this that has a chance to be a historical show to be mired by, uh, by pandemic-era crowds. But there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's the reality of the situation. There has been some movement, positive movement in that direction, and we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But those are my initial thoughts. I think it's a great idea, and I'm hoping the fans have a chance to cheer. And I'm hoping that politically we do get the singles matches that have been teased as opposed to a bunch of tags, because I, I don't think that'll be as cool. It doesn't mean the show won't be good. It doesn't mean you, you can't have great, you know, interpromotional tag matches. But um, I think we'd all agree that singles matches would be uh, far more interesting, especially to see uh, what the split is in terms of how many matches each side wins. New Japan is still in the on the high ground here. Okay. Uh, So you figure that at the end of the day, you know, they're going to not want to be the side that's going to come out of this looking bad. And they're the ones that can um, wield the stroke because they're on the high ground as the biggest promotion in Japan right now. So and whenever there's interpromotional stuff, I mean, that's just how those things work. So uh, interesting stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about it in the coming weeks. And if you want all kinds of crazy details, again, $5 tier. Stuff that hasn't been reported anywhere else. And quite honestly, probably won't be unless they rip me off. So uh, RevPro Uprising happened this past weekend. I haven't had a chance to see the whole show yet. We will try to review that on next week's flagship. I'll have it watched by then. Hopefully Rich can get it watched by then. And we can give a full review for that. So I was hoping to squeeze that show in at some point this week, but you know, it's been a crazy week and I haven't been able to watch the whole show yet, so uh no review for that. No, oh, the Will osprey head but a fan. And there was a report. Um it seems as though from every account that I've seen that he wasn't in the wrong in this scenario, uh, a, a a drunk uh fan who was part of a rowdy group uh grabbed him when he was brawling through the crowd and, and uh will made a comment towards him to to keep his hands off him and then the guy grabbed him a second time by putting his hands around his waist or something some kind of bear hug. I don't know if the footage is on the upload of the show cuz again I haven't watched it yet. But they said at that point he then turned around and headbutted the guy and then security threw him and all his friends out of there. So and then what we saw with Seth Rollins on Raw, I mean, you know, what a crazy week for that stuff. You you just you can't you can't touch these wrestlers. You can't do it. I mean, historically, you put your hands on a wrestler. You know, you, there's a chance you're going to get your teeth knocked down your throat. I mean, you can't you can't do it. These guys are vulnerable, particularly when they're crowd brawling, because and especially when you're a heel. On top of that, which Rollins and Ospreay are, and you're surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands, of fans, and and you're vulnerable. And you know, you got a stranger putting their hands on you in an aggressive manner. These guys are going to fight back, and you know. There's probably hundreds of examples historically of of fans getting handy with wrestlers and then getting their ass handed to them. And, you know, I think in both of these cases, both of these people who put their hands on wrestlers this week are very lucky that the locker rooms didn't spill out and, and, and you know, have their way with them. You know, so uh, in the old days, you would have your old policeman in the locker room who had the task. Of uh, of dealing with unruly fans and 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 choking them out, you know, you had every every locker room had a shooter, right? I remember going to ROH shows and I can't remember specifically which one it was, but I remember a fan. I don't know if they touched a wrestler, I don't know what they did, but Samoa Joe, who was probably the biggest star in the company at the time, you know, came running out from the back, breaking kayfabe. I don't even remember who the wrestlers were who who were involved in this, and, you know, he was ready to to, to knock some heads in. And that's old school, and it's appropriate. Because, again, these guys are vulnerable. These guys are vulnerable. Uh, you know, you can't have a fan, a fan or <coughs> – excuse me, one cough – or a group of fans attacking you. I mean, you know, it, it, it's you're in a dangerous position. So, you know, hopefully both of these guys – and the psychopath who attacked Seth Rollins, I mean, um, that guy, you know, he he hopped the rail and attacked Seth Rollins on live television. And the backstory to that is, you know, he was catfished by a fake Seth Rollins Twitter account. I mean, just crazy stuff. So hopefully, neither of these guys uh, ever attend the wrestling show again, at minimum. And I know that the guy who attacked Rollins is going to be prosecuted, as well he should be. And uh, I don't know about the guy who attacked Will Ospreay, but, uh, you know, it, it's scary stuff. You know, I think some of us might remember when when Monica Sellis was stabbed in the back in the middle of a tennis match. I mean, it's crazy. A fan snuck up behind her and stabbed her in the back. Could have killed her. You know, so... Um you know, I you know and I don't blame any of these pro wrestlers if they fight back with these people. You know, I know Seth put this guy in a guillotine hold and I know a lot of people had jokes, but uh you know, it's I wouldn't blame Seth if he didn't let go and he choked the guy out. You can't have it. You can't you can't it's unacceptable. Indefensible. And, um, you know, I don't blame any of these wrestlers for getting as aggressive as possible when it happens to them. Game changer wrestling, by the time you hear this, will probably have sold out their Hammerstein show just like everybody expected they would. It'll be a little bit over 2,000 tickets when it's all said and done. As I record this, I think there's just a couple of hundred tickets shy of, uh... Of selling the building, not even a couple of hundred, I think a hundred and change, like 110 tickets or something short. And they're possibly adding some seats from a tweet that I read. So I think we all expected that. And this is going to be their big crowning achievement. It'll be their biggest crowd ever. And it's obviously a historical building for wrestling, particularly uh, recent vintage wrestling, whether it's ECW or Ring of Honor. WWE has held shows there. There's been a lot of famous shows there. There's been a lot of great shows there. And now Game Changer Wrestling will join that lineage. Look, I can't entirely explain their appeal. I can't do it. You've heard me talk about it. I respect the hell out of their growth. They've cultivated a very loyal fan base nationwide. People love going to these shows. And I can't totally explain it. I think a lot of the matches are bad. I think with the exception of the top of the card, the booking is bad and lazy. Uh, Let's just throw everybody in a scramble. Let's, you know, you know, it's not a well-booked promotion with the exception of the top of the card title programs, which I think are booked very well and put together very well. I don't think a lot of the talent is very good. I think the show uh, I think their shows generally have uh terrible production values and and some of the worst commentary you'll ever hear, although they are working hard to improve that with the likes of Dave Prazak and Lenny Leonard. so they've at least recognized that their commentary has been some of the worst in the history of pro wrestling. but see, none of that matters. Their fan base doesn't care about any of this shit. They don't have a fan base that cares about booking and match quality and production values and how good the commentary is. They, their fan base doesn't care about that. These are people that want to go to shows, get drunk, and have fun. And go crazy for Nick Gage. And boo Matt Cardona out of the building. And go nuts for, you know, John Moxley and Joey Janela. So they've cultivated a fan base that's extremely loyal. They're by far the biggest indie in the country. There's a lot of people that think they're the number three promotion in the United States. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. Yeah, they draw very nice crowds coast to coast. Um, I don't know how many people are buying these shows on fight. They might be the number three promotion. I just, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to anoint that though. I don't know that. You know, by average, they're drawing more fans than New Japan is, for example. I mean, I've talked about that here. New Japan has drawn over 2,000 fans a couple of times since resurgence. They've draw, they draw around 1,000 fans per show in Dallas and Philly. And those are about the size of the crowds the Game Changers is doing. So they're in the same ballpark. And look, if you would have told me pre-pandemic two, three years ago, that Game Changer Wrestling would be running neck and neck with New Japan and America, I would have thought you were, you know, I don't know if I would have thought you were nuts. I, I I, don't know if I would have believed you, but Game Changer certainly had momentum back then. So just the fact that we can sit here and debate, you know, who's drawing more fans to live shows, Game Changer or New Japan, and that you can make a reasonable argument for Game Changer, and I might not argue with you, that's that speaks to their growth. It really does. Now, Ring of Honor's out of the picture, and you know Impact has got their you know little television show on their anthem-owned television channel that doesn't do a ton of viewers, and they're just starting to bring fans back. I don't think anybody would argue that. Well, you know, it, 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 it's a hard comparison because you know, you know, Impact does a they're are a hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand viewers per week or whatever it is on all of their different mediums and uh would Game Changer draw that on television if they had a TV show? I don't know. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Um uh, you know, Impact hasn't had fans at their shows for you know, over a year now, up until their most recent events. So I don't know. Can Impact average a thousand fans per show like you know, like game changers doing or in that neighborhood, so um, yeah, you can make the argument they're number three. You know, I'm not going to push back too hard on you. And now they're going to fill up Hammerstein. Uh, you know, it's 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 not for me. I I don't. You know, I I, I try really hard to enjoy these game changer shows. I I think they're bad, but there's no denying their incredible growth and their place in the ecosystem at this point. And when you have promotions like MLW straight up telling their contracted talent that they can't work game changer shows, that that goes to show how much they've grown as well to where other promotions see them as competition and a threat. So, um, good for them. They're going to sell that place out. And I've been to many shows at Hammerstein, both, uh, both you know, the Hammerstein Ballroom and the Grand Ballroom at the Manhattan Center. And I've been to many of the historical shows that have been there, many of the sold-out shows. And a game-changer crowd is going to be a very rowdy, loud, and um, exciting crowd for that product. You know, they really haven't even announced any matches for it, and they're still going to sell it out. So, uh, look, they're hot, and they're peaking right now. And good for them, and good for indie wrestling. Do I wish it was a promotion that, you know, for my own selfish reasons, fit my sensibilities as a fan a bit closer that was this hot? Yeah, I do not going to lie to you about that. Don't love the game changer myself. Don't entirely get the appeal, but have always given them credit and always will. It's uh, pretty amazing the job they've done and, and, and the growth that they've put forth over the last, you know, half decade or so. From Little Jersey Championship Wrestling. So they've grown from to the point where they're running Jersey championship wrestling shows now as like a sub promotion. Think about that. They have their own sub promotion at this point. So speaking of game changer and Joey Janela, Joey Janela wrestled Nick Wayne a few days ago. Let me get you the date on this. This was in Defy Wrestling, and people were talking about this match. Took place on the 20th of November. Defy Brutalist was the name of the show. Joey Janela versus Nick Wayne. And I had a chance to watch this match. And first of all, what I want to say is all of the things I said about Game Changer. In terms of production values and commentary... Uh, Complete opposite here. Anytime I've ever watched Defy, and I do watch Defy from time to time, it is a professional operation. Just tremendous production values, professional commentary. In this case, uh, Rich Bocini uh, doing solo commentary for this one, and he's obviously a professional broadcaster. And, um, you know, it's a slick production. Everything looks great. Everything sounds great. This is an upper-tier indie. In terms of production values and presentation. And they drew a really great crowd for this too. They drew a really great crowd to this uh, Washington Hall in Seattle. And uh, Matt Farmer and all those guys do a great job with this promotion. And they had a a, a big crowd and a red hot crowd. And they've really carved out a niche up there. As as really the preeminent promotion in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, Joey Janela came in to wrestle 16 year old Nick Wayne. Son of Buddy Wayne. Who passed away a few years ago. Buddy Wayne of course. A local legend of sorts. On the indie scene up there. Kind of broke through. Right at the end of the. Territory era. And. You know kind of made his mark locally. In what really. By the time. You know he got going. Was more of an indie scene. Than a territory scene. Although I do think he worked for the. Uh, dying days of the, you know, what used to be the Portland Territory, whatever whatever Sandy Barr was running, that, that Championship Wrestling USA or whatever it was called. So he did work the tail end of the territories. I think he worked up in Canada as well. Uh, but Buddy Wayne passed away a few years ago and he himself started as a teenager. And this is his son Nick Wayne who started wrestling I think at the age of 12 or 13 and uh, now he's 16 years old, and many people are calling him the uh, greatest teenage wrestler they've ever seen. The best 16-year-old wrestler they've ever seen. And a lot of smart, influential people are saying that, including Joey Janela, including Brian Alvarez. Brian Alvarez, of course, trained by Buddy Wayne and, and has a relationship with that family and all that. So, And other people as well. And you know, I hadn't seen Nick Wayne in a singles match. I'd seen him in some... Uh, scrambles, I believe, but I don't think before this Janela match that I ever saw Nick Wayne wrestle. You know, in a lengthy singles match like this. So this was uh, my first exposure to him in this kind of bout where you can really evaluate a guy and evaluate a wrestler and and you know what they do well and what they don't do well. Um, before I get to Nick Wayne, though, I. What I want to say is, you know, one of my thoughts coming away from this match was this this was the best Joey Janela in-ring performance I've ever seen. And I'm not someone who thinks Joey Janela stinks. You know, I'm not Jim Cornette or uh, some of these other people who think Janela is, you know, a shitty yarder or anything like that. I, I think Joey Janela, uh, he has his ups and downs. I, I've seen him have some excellent matches and... You know, I've seen him have some piss-poor matches. And I've seen him try some things that were overly ambitious. But I like Joey Janela as a worker well enough. But this was the best Joey Janela performance I've ever seen. I mean, his goal here was to make this kid look good and give him a great match. And he did. This was a great match. Make no mistake. Easy notebook match. Easy. Without question. And um, you can really feel how motivated Janela was. And then he gave the great post-match promo where he put the kid over. And he said, hey, look, my dad died when I was a kid in a construction accident. Your dad died unexpectedly when you were a kid. And I think you have a ton of potential and I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going I'm to protect you in this business and take care of you. And it was very emotional. It was very fiery. And uh, really was a great promo to cap off a great match and give Joey Janela credit. Joey Janela really cares about wrestling. He really does. I mean, he, he gives a ton of people exposure. He gets them into Game Changer, a lot of unknowns, a lot of young wrestlers. Uh, he believes in a lot of young wrestlers. He really cares about indie wrestling. And this is another example of that. Yeah, he really wants to help this kid. And I don't know how much help this kid is going to need. Uh, he really impressed me here. Very impressive. Now, look, he's 16 years old. And I don't think he's perfect, but this was a great match. And in terms of whether this is the greatest or the best 16-year-old wrestler that's ever come down the pipe, you know, I was really thinking about it. And I was thinking about some other teenage wrestlers and wrestlers of his age, both historically and currently in pro wrestling. And if you want to make comparisons based on, you know, the, the limited sample size I've seen this match and and some scrambles, but mostly based on this match. To give you some comparison points, I think he's, uh, uh, you know, a couple wrestlers right now who are teenagers on the scene. Billy Starks, I think he's way better than Billy Starks. Like, it's not even close. Blows her away. Um, Star Boy Charlie. This is a kid on the West Coast who is about the same age, maybe a couple years older but who I I saw at a, at a similar age I think he's way ahead of Starboy Charlie not even close if you want to talk historically there's Ray Mysterio Jr who started as a young teen and who I'm pretty sure I saw at a similar age and you know at, at the risk of being sacrilegious here I I think very comparable to Ray at the same age maybe even a little better and That's not me saying that Nick Wayne is going to have Rey Mysterio Jr.'s career. That would be absurd. You're talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest wrestlers to ever live in a lot of people's eyes. But you have to remember, you know, uh, at the age of 15, 16, Rey was not a finished product. Rey had his flaws. He really came into his own very quickly after that. By the age of 19 or 20, Rey Mysterio was already one of the best wrestlers in the world. But comparing both of these people at 16 years old, listen, from what I saw, I don't see a huge difference. I don't know that he has Ray's ceiling. But that's not what I'm doing here. I'm comparing Ray at 16 to this guy at 16. Tyler Bate. In terms of, you know, I don't know how many Tyler Bate matches I saw when Tyler Bate was 16. But I saw plenty of Tyler Bate when he was 17, 18, 19. I'd put Tyler Bate at that age a little ahead of of this guy. I can't say that Wayne is better than Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate was really fucking good at that age. And he might still be. But nobody can see him wrestle anymore because he's hidden on NXT UK and nobody watches that shit. And I don't know what's going on with Tyler Bate. At this point. But at the same age. He was a prodigy as well. And I thought he was more of a finished product. And a more well-rounded product. Than Nick Wayne is. But that's no insult. Uh, Scotty Davis. Yes, I know he's cancelled. Don't at me. You can't at me anyway. Because I'm not on Twitter anymore. But. But. This is just for the sake of a comparison point. Because a lot of you have probably seen Scotty Davis. Um, I think Davis was probably a little ahead of this guy too. At the same age. I don't know if I saw Davis at 16. I think I saw, you know, like Bate. I think I definitely saw him at 17 or 18. And maybe I saw him at 16. But um, at any rate, I, I think. I would put Davis and Bate at the same age a little ahead. I'd put him about the same as Ray. And I'd put him well ahead of Billy Starks or Starboy Charlie. I would put him behind Katsuhiko Nakajima. Who by the age of 16 was already a competent, very good pro wrestler. On his way to being great. Terry Gordy who everyone will tell you, was hell on wheels by the time he was 16. I I don't think I ever saw Terry Gordy at 16, so I can't comment on that. And I think Terry Gordy started at 14 and was already very good by the time he was 16, 17, 18 years old. But I don't think I ever saw Gordy at that age, so that one I can't comment on. And I'm just pulling some of these from the top of my head. There's obviously a ton of Joshi, but I'm going to stay out of that. I am hardly a Joshi aficionado. I know there's a ton, probably, of lucha guys because they start very early in lucha. But again, uh, just going off the top of my head, I you know, other than Rey, I can't really think of a prominent one who was considered a prodigy at that age. Um, so I'm gonna stay out of that as well. But. You know, I gave you a couple historical ones. I gave you a couple who are from a half a generation ahead of Nick Wayne. And I gave you a couple of his contemporaries with Billy Starks and Starboy Charlie. And I think um, if you want to tell me that Nick Wayne is the best 16-year-old wrestler you've ever seen, like a lot of people are saying, I, I don't know if I can tell you you're wrong. I mean, I agree on uh, that he's better than a lot of the people I've named at the same age. I think he's a little bit behind a couple of the others, but they're all reasonable debates. He's really fucking good. He's really good. Um, He's a bit of an Osprey clone, but a lot of wrestlers coming up now are. I've talked about this with a lot of people inside wrestling. I've talked about this with people at shows. Every show now has a Will Osprey clone. At least one. And that's not necessarily a knock to Nick Wayne or any of the other Osprey clones. I mean, that's just pro wrestling. There was an entire generation of wrestlers who copied Dynamite Kid. One of them being Chris Benoit. And then there was an entire generation of wrestlers who copied Chris Benoit. You know, so that's just pro wrestling. You watch your tapes, you see people on TV, and you emulate them. And right now, there's a lot of people emulating Willow Spray. And why wouldn't they? The guy's great. He's on his way to being an all-timer. He's an innovator. Uh, you know, and he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And I could see why he would be copied and emulated. And this is, you know, Nick Wayne is a Willow Spray, uh, you know, emulate. That's what he is. And that's, that's okay. And again, I don't even necessarily mean that as an insult. But There's a lot of Willow Spray in him. And so that's his style. He pulls off some tremendous spots. I like the way he sells, particularly for a young wrestler. I mean, a young wrestler. For a child, I like the way he sells. He's got... He's already developed some good facials. Uh, You know, I know a lot of people are going to be blinded by the flips and a lot of dynamic spots, but... You know, I'm looking at the way he moves around the ring. He's not super... um, natural the way he moves around the ring yet a little tentative at times but I I love the way he sells at this stage I love how he has developed some facials Uh, he's expressive with his body so a lot of those little things that wrestlers don't pick up on until they're several years in and I guess he is several years in because he started at an obscenely young age So he's well on his way. I mean, he has a chance to be, he has a chance to be great. He really does. I mean, his body has to fill out and all those sorts of things, but he's a kid. Was he a junior in high school or whatever the fuck? He's a child. So, you know, in 15 years, he'll be barely 30. And obviously, he's following his father's footsteps. So he's not someone who's gonna flame out or lose interest in this. This is something he wants to do, and he's gonna be everywhere very soon. I, you know, I don't know his, you know, situation with his uh, parent. You know, his parenting with his mother or whoever's watching out for him and whether they're going to allow him to travel all over the place and you know work sketchy independent pro wrestling shows but if 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 that's something that he's going to be allowed to do as a child he'll be working everywhere you know th- this is his breakout match this is the breakout match not any of the dopey scrambles or anything like that this is the breakout match because people are going to watch this like I did and 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 be like yeah this is not This is not a kid who's overhyped. This guy has got the tools. He's got the goods. And he has a chance to be really great. So. You want me to put stars on it? I mean, I thought it was well over four stars. I don't know if I'd go all the way to four and a half. Let's call it four and a quarter. There's a lot of people who say it's the best match they've ever seen live. It's free on YouTube. That's where I watched it, and it's not a bootleg version. Defy put it up. You can watch it legally on YouTube. And you'll see people in the comments that, you know, this was the best match I've ever seen in front of my own eyes. Loudest pop I ever heard at the finish. So he's making an impression with people. And like I said, there's many people who feel like he is the best 16-year-old wrestler that they've ever seen. Well worth your time. Go check it out. And what I don't want to get lost in this, like I said earlier, I thought Janela was fantastic in the match. He really was. That This was the best bell-to-bell performance for Joey Janela that I've ever seen. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, they could be getting more out of him in AEW. I'm not saying push him to the moon necessarily. But if he's going to wrestle the way he did against this kid, you could put him on TV in a 12-minute match against one of your top guys or on a pay-per-view, and and he can deliver. And and I'm someone who thinks Janela has been spotty in AEW. I don't think he's been great. But if he's got these these kind of performances in him, you know, then maybe they could be getting a little more out of him. But the problem with Janela – It has always been the inconsistency. So, anyway, that's uh, Nick Wayne versus Joey Janella. And that's the flagship. Special Thanksgiving Week Edition. I don't know why it's special. Thanksgiving Week Edition. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you listening to this in America, which is most of you. Happy Random Thursday. To the rest of you around the world. I want to thank everybody for listening. As always. I want to thank everybody for listening. Over the years. I want to thank all the subscribers. Uh, You know. You can't possibly know. How much that means to Rich and I. That as many people. Subscribe to. Our bonus content. uh, That do. Because we never envisioned. That we would draw. Uh, This many paying customers to our dopey little shows. So I want to thank everybody who supports us. Both uh, listening to this show for free. And by throwing us a few bucks for all the bonus content we do too. Uh, It does not go unnoticed. It does not go unappreciated. So uh, I want to thank everybody for that. On this uh, hours, 319 in the a.m. On Thanksgiving night. So that's it. I assume Rich will be back next week. And you'll get a full show. But thank you for indulging me. On this slapped together. Partial version of the flagship. And I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to make sure that you guys have the content every week. Take care.